0: Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Asian Madness Podcast. Just wanted to say thank you to all of you who listen and continue to support me. I have been getting back on track, and it does help that my social life is rather inactive. So, right now, it is just work and podcast. I secretly research while I'm at work because it's called being efficient. So, please, nobody tell my boss. As for the True Crime Podcast Festival I attended a few weeks ago, it was extremely fun but so exhausting. I was in Chicago for less than a day and a half. I was so tired and I developed hives on my plane ride back, but I took care of that with amazing allergy meds. I'm always prepared for the worst. So, I met so many listeners and so many podcasters, it was unreal. I have what they call imposter syndrome. And when people actually come up to me and say, hey, I like your show, I am blown away each time. I also wonder, hmm, would I listen to my own show? Weird. I admit on my way to Chicago, I was a bit mad at myself for doing this. But in the end, it was totally worth it. So quick shout out to all my new and old pod friends. We shall meet again. Okay, that is enough chit chat from me for the time being, so let's begin today's episode. Maybe some of you have already guessed what today's episode is about just by looking at the name. I don't actually remember where I first heard of this case, but I'm pretty sure Sword and Scale did an episode on this a while ago. If the case is horrific, disturbing, and just plain disgusting, I'm going to assume Mike Boudet's got it covered. For real though, today's case is a Pretty bad one. It will involve pedophilia, murder, torture, and anything horrible you can imagine done to a child. I would like to thank listener Tom McCarty from Facebook for suggesting this case. And if you don't need to feel shitty before bed and have nightmares, I would suggest you listen to this episode sometime during the day. This dude was terrible enough for a country to want to bring back the death penalty just for him. This is the case of Peter Scully, the disgusting pedophile who ruined the lives of so many innocent people. A few things regarding the information you will hear. It was slightly difficult to find exact dates, and a lot of the information varied from site to site. A lot of the events may have occurred in different chronological order, but in essence, it does not really affect how the crimes were carried out nor the outcome of the case. Also, the ages of the children mentioned may be a bit different from site to site, but just remember, they are all children under the age of 12. If you hear me tell it a bit differently from other sources, then this is why. One more thing, if you're not up to listening to this episode, I totally get it. Not everyone wants to hear about crimes committed against innocent and vulnerable kids. So when you were on the run, how great was the urge?
1: Urge for what?
2: To find young girls.
1: <laughs> Hardly ever had an urge. It's not like a hungry dog that's got to feed every every three hours or four hours. It's not like that. Um, and it's, it's really not... It's almost not an urge.
2: Then uh, why do it? Yeah, good question.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Peter Scully is an Australian man born on January 13, 1963. Before all the terrible things ever happened, Peter was living in Melbourne and living a bit of a complicated life. Very little is known about his early years or his childhood, but his girlfriend had apparently gotten pregnant when he was around 18, and his youngest child, a daughter, was born when he was only 19, probably around the year 1982. He and his girlfriend, whom later became his wife, also gave birth to a second child, a boy. This marriage did not last long and the two eventually divorced. After his divorce, he met a Chinese woman and according to Peter Scully, they got married three times, once in Australia, once in China, and once in Hong Kong. But again, this marriage failed and the two divorced. Sometime in the 2000s or possibly even earlier, He was working as a businessman in Melbourne, but not the kind of business that is even close to being legit. This included fake property investments and an online business where he was later alleged to have scammed over 20 investors for a total of $2.68 million. His scams were so bad that he was even under the watch of the Australian Securities and Investment Commission. In 2009, Peter Scully showed up one day with a new girlfriend, a Malaysian teenager. Everywhere I read it said that she was only a teenager so I'm just going to go with that. If not a teen, then she was probably just really, really young. But whether or not she's underage is still a bit weird. He was probably in his 40s by this time and if he's dating somebody underage, hmm. But that's the least of anybody's worries. What he was doing with the girlfriend should be the biggest issue. He had allegedly started an online escort service and pimped her out to customers. Gross, right? There was even an incident where Peter Scully locked his girlfriend out of their home, completely nude, and the poor girl had to ask for help from a nearby office. Maybe she told him that she didn't want to work for him anymore, or maybe she just wanted to go home, but... Clearly, Peter doesn't seem to give a shit about her or what she wanted. What he does care about is money. There were reviews and comments written in an online forum regarding the escort service that Peter provided, and one person wrote, quote, Apparently, anything goes for this girl for the right price. Well, probably because Peter was the one agreeing to the amount and the girl was doing all the work. Anyway, Peter was also under investigation at around this time, and things became more heated and that's when he decided it was time for him to make an escape. So, on to our next stop, the Philippines. Peter Scully left Australia in 2011 when he was under investigation for all the fraud charges. He arrived in Cagayan de Oro on the island of Mindanao, also known as Southern Philippines. Before we continue... I would like to take some time to discuss the poverty situation in the Philippines because it is sad to say it plays a really huge part in Peter Scully's plans in the Philippines. The concept is fairly simple. When people are poor and hungry and living an undesirable life, then suddenly someone with money comes along and tells you that there's hope. What do you do? Do you wave them away or do you ask them for help? These circumstances, unfortunately, make it the perfect environment for sex trafficking and child sexual exploitation. Remember a few episodes ago I discussed the case of Rorick Judding, the British banker who spent a lot of money on sex workers in the Philippines? Sure, that was probably consensual, but I cannot confirm that every woman he had sex with was over the age of 18 or even wanted to be in that line of work. So what turns many people to this industry? In short, money and the hope of a better life. This is also true for kids, but what is fucked up is that these are kids and they are ignorant to what they are getting themselves into. So if a rather rich looking person comes up to you and tells you that if you go with them, they will take care of you, let you live in their house, provide for you, grown women may have an idea of what is required of them. sex, but children are more naive and may just choose to blindly believe someone and follow them. The Philippines is pretty much one of the best places for child sex tourism. I don't mean best as in you should do it, just one of the places that it happens the most. Many foreigners, most of them from Europe or North America, arrive in the Philippines and since they're usually well off in comparison, they get what they came for. Many of these foreigners are also really well connected politically and financially, and because of widespread poverty, it is also relatively easy to bribe the officials. So to sum it up, these are just a few ways people get to children. The easier way is to approach the child and offer them food or shelter or a better life. Kids are simple, and in their minds, they probably are not expecting adults to be liars or molesters. Once the child leaves with them, then they can be locked away, pimped out, or smuggled out of the country. Just have enough money to bribe an official and it might work out. Another way requires a bit more work, where the molester would approach mothers of young children, develop a relationship with them, and somehow make the mother part of this. Usually the mother would not object to anything her wealthier boyfriend does or says, but then again, they may also be rather naive for believing that their children are safe with them. It's really upsetting when mothers and family members become unwilling participants. With that said, let's get back to the actual case. So that is pretty much how Peter Scully set up his pedophile ring, which was called No Limits Fun. Mind you, he was just living the Australian fugitive life for the first year or so. He kept a low profile, probably ate mangoes and chicken adobo every day, took jeepney rides, hung out at the beach, all that. But later on, something changed. Maybe life was boring, or maybe he felt an urge rise inside of him. Whatever it was, it led him down this path that no one should ever get close to. One of the first and most important steps he took to establish his new career was to approach underage sex workers and befriend them until they were in a relationship of some sort. One of his girlfriends was Lizelle Margallo. The two were said to be in a relationship, but in reality Peter Scully was grooming her to become his accomplice. She was most likely ignorant of what he was planning at first, and all she probably wanted was a stable life and Peter made sure to provide that for her. Once he felt he had her trust, Peter began to ask Lizelle to recruit some street kids for him, all in the name of helping them out. But of course, we know it wasn't to help. It was for his own twisted fantasies. Things quickly took a dark turn, and there is no way that Lizelle was dumb or ignorant to what Peter was doing at this point. To put it plainly, she herself participated in the filming of the videos that were sold across the world to other sick individuals. And what is it that she participated in, you ask? Two words, Daisy's Destruction. What does that even mean? Well, of all the awful movies Peter and Company made between 2012 and 2014, the worst one is titled Daisy's Destruction, which was made in 2012. It's a series of about three to four videos, and aside from Peter and his mistress, Lizelle Margallo, three helpless children were also involved, and I am sorry to say, they were most definitely harmed in the making of the video. The three children were 18-month-old Daisy, 11-year-old Cindy, and 12-year-old Liza. Obviously, I have never seen this video nor do I ever plan to, but here are the details I've gathered so far. In the very beginning of the video, there are a few intro lines. Come see a child's mental ruin, her innocence lost. Used as a tool, she will learn how to please her mistress. Her body will be ravaged, her dignity stolen, helpless. She will hang for your amusement so how disgusting is that? I know we all need to take a shower now and that probably won't wash that filth away. Liza and Cindy were forced to perform sexual acts on each other and were also sexually abused by both Lizelle and Peter Scully. Lizelle had a cheap looking masquerade mask on while Peter would blur out his face whenever he was on screen. The children screamed and cried and pleaded, but I think... This is what some people actually wanted to see. As for the 18 month old toddler, she was hung upside down, she had hot wax dripped all over her body and on her private parts, she was beaten, sex toys were used on her, and of course she was raped. Basically everything you shouldn't be doing to a child. These videos were sold across the internet to viewers from the UK, Germany, and Australia mostly and the videos were sold for around 10,000 US dollars. Can you imagine? I guess you don't have to imagine because this is fact, and it is also a fact that these people are sick. Daisy's destruction was definitely the most horrific part of Peter's crimes, and this video surfaced somewhere in Europe and police everywhere realized that there was a really major ass creep somewhere in the world making these videos. They managed to narrow down the location to the Philippines, but it would take a few more years for police to actually pinpoint the exact location and person. After these videos were made, Peter very likely up and left wherever he was. He was probably constantly on the move in order to avoid capture, which I guess would be necessary. Another one of Peter Scully's girlfriend-slash-accomplice-slash-mistress was a teen named Carme Ann Alvarez. She was around 17 when she first met Peter. And she was, of course, ignorant of Peter's intentions at first. He said to me, Can we adopt some street kids? And I said, mm, I don't know. I don't think so. What if, if my sister to live with us? He said to me, No, I don't want your sister. I want a street kid to help them. Then I meet these two kids. Then I said to these kids, You want to come with me? And then the kids say, Yes. So you,
2: you, you asked them to come home with you yeah. because Peter wanted two girls?
0: Yeah. And did he tell you which age, what age he wanted?
2: He said he wants
1: nine and
2: twelve.
0: After Peter rejected her bringing her sisters to go live with them, Carme Anne approached two girls, Queenie and Daisy, another Daisy, who happened to be cousins. They were aged between nine and twelve. Carme-Anne approached them at a local mall, offering to buy them a meal, and after they had finished, she asked if they wanted to leave with her. Once Carme-Anne convinced the two girls to leave with her, she took them directly back to the house she shared with Peter. She first gave the two girls a bath, while Creepo Scully filmed it. The two girls were under the illusion that this was the start of a new life, but everything changed the following day. The two girls were made to perform sex acts on each other while Peter filmed the whole thing. Whether or not Carmen took part in any of the filming is still unknown, as she did seem to be a lot more clueless than the previous mistress, Lizelle Margallo. Some say she participated, some say she only helped. Either way, she was somehow guilty. Peter also raped and tortured the two girls himself. And to make the whole situation even more dramatic... The two girls were forced outside for a period of time every day during their captivity to dig their own graves. Just let all that sink in for a bit. You're a kid. You're locked up. You're forced to do things you don't understand. You get raped. You are tortured. And you're being told that you will die soon and that is where you will lie. Traumatic. Hell yes. Carmine had left the two girls alone with Peter Scully for a few days, but after returning, she discovered that the two girls were literally chained up like dogs in a room. At this point, it should be 100% clear to Carmian that this was fucked up. Like I said, she may have been pretty ignorant of Peter's intentions at first, but not anymore. She then felt guilt kicking in and she freed the two girls, while other sources say that Queenie managed to escape her collar and leash. Either way, the damage had already been done. The two girls ran for their lives and told family and eventually the police of what had happened. This was when the actual depravity and crimes of Peter Scully were fully acknowledged by the Philippines, and soon, law enforcement would begin a manhunt. The two girls were able to give a rough description of who took them, but Peter Scully was already on the run. Carme Anne, however, was not so lucky. She was quickly found by police and was arrested on September of 2014. By this time though, many videos had already been made and sold across the world to sick individuals who paid lots of money just to watch little children get tortured and sexually abused. Peter made lots of money from this, taking requests, and some videos were even said to have other men participating in the rape and torture. Some people do it for money, some do it for pleasure, and as for Peter Scully, I honestly don't know why he does it. The NBI, as in the National Bureau of Investigation in the Philippines, were determined to track down the victims from the videos, and of course, Peter and his other accomplices. Peter was constantly on the move because he knew that there was a manhunt out for him. Police all over the world were aware that the man behind the video was a white man that spoke English, but the Filipino police officers could not figure out where he was from. It took Australia Federal Police Officer Paul Hopkins to realize, hey, this guy's Australian. I guess it takes an Australian to know one. Agent Paul Hopkins arrived in the Philippines for this and worked closely with local NBI agent Janet Francisco in tracking down Peter Scully, and after following leads for months, they finally found Peter Scully in Malay Balay City. Here's what Paul Hopkins and Janet Francisco have to say about Peter Scully.
1: The perpetrator of these horrendous acts is the most depraved individual I've ever come across. Twenty-six years of policing. I've worked in nine different countries. I've worked in a lot of different jobs. I've never seen anything like this.
0: Anything that the consumer or the member of the group will um, tell him to do, he will do. To the point of, you know, killing the, the child in the course of the sexual abuse.
2: And who are those people? Where do they come from? from UK, um,
0: Germany, and um, U.S. Peter Scully's residence was raided and when law enforcement stormed in, he wasn't even wearing pants. He was wearing tidy whiteies. Huh. Pretty awkward. He asked if he could put on his pants first when he was being handcuffed. I wish the police had said no, but they said yes. Anyway, this Predator was finally taken down on February 20th, 2015. Thank God. So the infamous child predator Peter Scully was finally taken down. What people knew about him was that he would approach young children with the promise of food and shelter. He would play the Good Samaritan card with the parents, offer to help them out financially, and that he would take care of and educate their children. Sounds like a dream, right? Especially for a family that's already struggling. This sounds like an amazing deal. But we all know that there's no such thing as a free lunch. Peter Scully wanted something from them, and he got it. He's definitely a cocky son of a bitch. Played it cool throughout the investigation and interrogations, showed zero remorse, and even had the audacity to make demands. Here are some details law enforcement managed to discover during interrogation and after some more digging. There were around 15 filming and housing locations total, and they were able to match the background of the videos to some actual abandoned houses. Peter Scully and friends would stay in a place for maybe a month or two, make videos, then leave and find another place. Carmen Alvarez was also able to offer up more information on the victims and the filming locations, which the police took into account. Remember the three children from Daisy's destruction video? Police actually managed to find all three of them. Daisy, the 18-month-old, had been hurt badly but made a recovery. Liza was also alive with less physical injuries. As for Cindy, well, she was also found but that would be a couple years later. She had allegedly been strangled to death by Peter himself, then buried in a shallow grave under the kitchen of one of the houses used for filming. Believe it or not, It was Lizelle Margallo, the first mistress, who took investigators to Cindy's burial site, all the while claiming she had zero knowledge of his actions. That was before police realized how involved she was though, so she fled before anyone realized her involvement. The number of children abused by Peter is unknown, but there were at least 8 known victims and 1 death. It's difficult to prove at this point that Peter killed the girl himself, but either way, he was definitely involved. Another young victim, an 8-year-old, was also found to have suffered the same fate as the other girls, and she was given to Peter Scully by her own mother after he had promised to care for her. The mother felt really uneasy about her decision though, and two weeks later she went to where Scully was and took back her daughter. But unfortunately, the damage was already done. So now we have Peter Scully and Carmen Ann Alvarez arrested. What about the other evil mistress? Lizzo Margallo was said to have been taken into custody at first, but it was difficult to determine her crimes so she was freed after she played victim and cried crocodile tears. Once she was freed, she disappeared. Of course, she disappeared because she was fucking guilty as sin. She was a wanted individual and it took almost two years after Peter's arrest to track her down again. And you know where she was found? In the amazing city of Cebu. She was pretty much hiding in plain sight, living a rather lavish life. Partying every night, uploading photos to Facebook, pretty much anything you would expect from a 23-year-old girl living by the beach. NBI received a tip about a woman resembling Lazelle, and in January of 2017, she was forced to kiss her freedom goodbye. So you might be wondering how this woman managed to avoid capture for so long, especially since she wasn't even hiding. First of all, she used a fake name on social media. She went by the name of Shannon Carpio and she had a fake passport under the name of Gina Carpio. She also told her beach bum friends that her husband was a millionaire software company director. I hope she isn't referring to Peter Scully, who I guess could be very much misinterpreted as a millionaire software company director. For his own pedophile video company, I guess. No limits fun. I hate this woman a lot, so I'm very glad she didn't manage to get away in the end. Many tapes were gathered into evidence and the agents investigating Peter Scully had to sit there and watch them for the sake of the investigation. Tears were shed, hearts were broken, and many had nightmares afterwards. Can you blame them? These videos were described as the worst things they had ever had to watch, even when it was their job to look through these videos. The authorities really wanted to bring back the death penalty for Scully's crimes because they were so severe they didn't think he deserved to live. But we all know it takes time to change laws, and he was sentenced to life in prison before the capital punishment could even be reinstated. Peter Scully faced several dozen charges of child murder, torture, abuse, kidnapping, etc. I mean, the list goes on and on. But while Peter Scully was in custody after his arrest, something really dramatic happened. It was also really suspicious and unfortunate. The evidence room with all the child abuse movies he made? Well, a fire somehow broke out in that specific room and destroyed everything. Really? What are the odds? Coincidence? Divine intervention on his end? Or the most likely scenario... Peter bribed some official and had them burn the evidence room down. I don't know, what do you think? All three of these assholes were sentenced to life in prison for their crimes. I don't know how you all feel about this, if it's enough or if it's not, but here are some quotes from Peter Scully regarding his sentencing. Quote, there is nothing I can do about it, so why worry about it? If I get sentenced, I get sentenced. That is something out of my control. Okay, and when he was asked about the girls he abused and tortured, his response was, Accusations are stronger than what really happened. This is something to talk about in the court, which is the proper form. There's nothing I can do to change what they said. Uh, okay, dude, can you be any more chill? Watching his interviews with Tara Brown from 60 Minutes just made my blood boil. And because you guys are my friends, I want all of us to be mad together. Why do you
2: rape young children?
1: The answer is, I don't know. I don't know the real answer.
2: Well, why don't we hazard a guess? No, I don't hazard a guess. Is do it we- because you're depraved? Depraved? Maybe. That no. you admit you do it. What I'm
1: looking for is the real reason why why I took that road and what drove me to it. because. In Australia, I wasn't like that. In the first six, six, 12 months here, I wasn't like that. So what what drove me that way? That's what I wanted to know, and that's what I want to tell everyone. That is, I'm writing uh, about every day I've been here since April 2011, and what has happened, what influenced me, what made me take that road instead of this road, all the way until the present.
2: Would you consider that a confession? Yeah. Why would you abuse an 18-month-old child?
1: Well, for a start, I didn't. And well, that's not true, is it? It is true. No, I'm sorry, you're
2: wrong. Oh, I'm sorry. How old was she? Huh? How old was she, Peter? You
1: are confusing um, different things. I don't want to get into that. How old was she? Huh?
2: How old was she? I don't
1: want to get into any of that yet.
2: Right, okay. Mm. Whether that child was 18 months, Mm. 2 years, 3 years, Mm. or perhaps we're mixing it up with a 9-year-old child, Mm. or an 11-year-old girl, Mm. 12-year-old girl. Mm. You've done it to all of them, haven't you?
1: Alright, I will go back to this now. No comment.
2: It's a coward's way out, isn't it?
1: It's a realistic way out.
2: What was your reaction when you were arrested? Did you feel as pathetic as you looked?
1: Thank you. I didn't think about that.
2: You told me earlier that uh, you, you weren't a pedophile in Australia. Is that true? Mm. Mm. No victims in Australia? Of course not. What about your own children? No, no way. Oh, that shocks you, does it?
1: It shocks me. It shocks me that you asked that.
2: We believe that there is still one girl missing. Where is she?
1: From now on, my answer will be everything will be in the journal. Though you can keep asking questions, but that will be my answer.
2: Is she alive?
1: Everything will be in the journal. Anyway, um, are we almost done? Because we're going round in circles.
2: I'm not finished yet. All right. What we're interested in mm. is, is whether you have any remorse, mm. whether you admit to what you've done, mm. which is sexual abuse, mm. and of course murder.
1: Mm. Of course I have
2: remorse. Why, of course.
1: Why do you think you, people don't have remorse? No, I'm
2: asking you as somebody who is a repeat offender here, Mm -hmm. who went on the run, who's only Mm -hmm. here because you've been caught, not because you turned yourself in. Mm -hmm. At what point do you actually feel sorry for what you've done? Is it at the point where you're captured? Oh,
1: that's a good question, actually. That's a a good question, well done. (laughs) That's a very good question. Uh, At what point do you feel remorse? I think there's different degrees of remorse all the way through. Right. Um, but I think your greatest remorse comes when you finally realise the extent of what you've done.
2: And at what point uh, was that?
1: At what point was that?
2: What is it about you, Peter, that hates children and women so much?
1: I might address that in the journal.
2: It just got crazier and crazier for you and sicker and sicker and you'd already committed murder where was it going to end like where what was the next level for you
1: there was no next level
2: and as a parent how can you reconcile what you've done to children
1: next question please
2: do you accept that you were ruining their lives as soon as you came in touch with them
1: and the journal
2: So you really have no sympathy for these people, for these kids.
1: That is definitely in the journal. I think we are finished.
0: I think we are. As for you law-abiding Australians, get prepared to be even more mad. Apparently the Australian government has funds that they use to help Australians accused of crimes overseas. In other words a taxpayer-funded legal support system called the Serious Overseas Criminal Matters Scheme. About 500000 US dollars has been used for Peter Scully's legal costs in the Philippines, which in my opinion is a huge waste of money. I understand this is necessary, but where do you draw the line? According to an article from The Australian, Attorney General Christian Porter is quoted as saying, There are circumstances where such support is absolutely appropriate. However, determinations in this case were made prior to my becoming Attorney General. I had already asked my department for information on the scheme, including this particular case, with a view to considering changes to the scheme so that persons in circumstances similar to Mr. Scully or those with histories of sexual offending and relevant convictions would no longer be eligible. Yes, I actually do agree. A reevaluation should probably be made. Peter Scully, forever cool, calm, and collected, is rumored to be having a good time in prison. Sure, he's locked up with no access to the outside world, but he apparently makes constant demands about his food, his cell, what he has in his cell. Oh, it's so hot here. I need a fan. Oh, this meat isn't good. I want fresh beef. Oh, I'm bored, I need a mobile phone to contact my friends and family. It's almost a waste of energy to be even mad at this guy because clearly nothing we think or say about him will likely get a response from him. Just look at how sharp and direct Tara Brown was with her questioning, and he barely flinched. Quite honestly, this case and this guy? All fucking unbelievable. The video of Daisy's destruction was actually thought of as an urban legend at one point. Until it wasn't. The urban legend version, though, exaggerated the details, saying that babies were smashed against the walls or two babies were smashed against each other like a pillow fight till they died. I mean, insane details. Hopefully none of this ever happened and it's just that weird part of the internet where people make things up. So there you have it. The despicable story of the monster known as Peter Scully. Difficult to imagine how some people manage to do such things, knowing that it's wrong. Peter was shocked when Tara Brown asked if he ever abused his own children, and it just shows how he is able to separate his own sick world and the real world. I believe he knows what he did was wrong, but the scary part is that he just doesn't care. So in a sense, remorse doesn't exist. There are surely many more other Peter Scullys out there in the world, still profiting from harming children. If there is hell, there will definitely be a special place in hell for them. Sorry if I inserted too many audio clips, but I just really needed you guys to hear from Peter Scully himself. Please be kind and watch out for the little ones. They're naive, they're vulnerable, and if we don't teach them and care for them and guide them, Monsters may appear and snatch them away. Till next time. And as always, before I go, I would like to say thank you to the following people. For my Patreon, thank you to Kobe Velcrook, Amy Davidson, Jamie Hover, Michelle Sampson, and Brian Anton Spencer. Thank you all so, so much. I know I always say you don't have to pledge to me, you don't have to give me anything, but you know, this really, really helps. Thank you. Oh, wait, I would also like to thank my brother, Henry. He isn't pledging on Patreon because he doesn't believe in Patreon. Hmm. But he gave me cash, so, well, that helps. Thank you. As for reviews, I would like to thank Nikki T from the podcast Strictly Homicide, a podcast about Arkansas crime. Volgal64. Auto de and Jen Crane Tribon, Tiger Loves from France, and Mark Levo and Dave Smith R1 from Australia. Thank you for your kind words and for listening to my podcast. I truly appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to the Asian Madness podcast. If you enjoyed my content, please rate and review me on iTunes. If you would like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or email me at AsianMadnessPod at gmail.com.